All right, so I know two things about all of you. Uh, and what I know about you is that you're a human that lives in the world. And at first that may seem like, well, that's not very profound, uh, but it is. And, and the reason it is is because what I'm saying is you are a broken person who lives in community with broken people in a broken world. Therefore, suffering, affliction is going to be a very constant normative part of your life, right? We're, we're broken people. So that means we have physical affliction. We suffer physically, right? We've all had the flu. Some of us will get cancer, right? We will all die if Jesus doesn't come back, right? We're, we're broken people, so we're broken spiritually. We have spiritual suffering. Sometimes we call it depression. Sometimes we call it anxiety. It's guilt. It's shame. It's false guilt. But all of us are acquainted with, with this, right, because we're broken people. In broken communities, so relationship conflict is normative. You know, how many of us are from broken families? How many of us have conflict in our marriages with our own kids, um, within our own church body? Um, and then all of that actually happens in the midst of a broken world, right? Like tornadoes happen, right? Plans do not always go the way we want them to. Things break down. Like just yesterday, my car broke down, and I had to drive Joe Ford's dad's expedition here, right? Like things wear out. Um, and so because of that, as a human being in the world, you are going to need comfort over and over and over and over and over again. And you're going to have opportunities, right, to give comfort out to people over and over and over again. So how are you doing? at that. Okay, how are you doing at receiving comfort from God? Does that come easy? How are you at, at granting comfort to others? And I wonder, like, how, how many of you is this kind of more your experience? Um, you know, something tragic happens in a friend's life. Maybe somebody died, right? Maybe they're really sick. Who knows? Maybe they lost a job. And, and you know, like, I need to enter into this place. I need to help this person. And as you're driving to their house, you just are remembering all those times, all those awkward situations, right, where, like, it doesn't go well. You know, you, you, you walk into it, and, and, and they just seem frustrated and angry. You don't know what to say, and you try to say a couple things, but it ends up just really feeling very shallow and at the end, you walk away just kind of disappointed in yourself, like, man, all I did was make it worse. Well, you know, oftentimes, the best first step uh, to comfort someone is just to be there, right? Just to be there, to hug them, to love them, to let them know they're not alone, right? People are not always expecting you to come in first thing and give the deep theological answers to why they're in pain, why they're in suffering, right? Why their loved one just passed away. But if there's anything we should have as Christians, right, it's deep answers to suffering. If there's anything we should be able to give as Christians, it's deep comfort to people. Because, right, we worship a Savior who was a man of sorrows, right, who was well acquainted with grief, but in the midst of that was always rejoicing, right? Isn't that amazing? So, like, Jesus uh, was not above this world. He was in this world. Like, he was grieved. He did face suffering, like, far more than any of us. Yet, that was not the context of his life. Joy was the context of his life. As a pastor, um, you know, I get invited regularly into the pain of people. 
And uh, over the years, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 has really become a go-to text for me. Um, and so I, I want to do a little parentheses here and, and just share a really important thing. And if there's anything you get out of today, uh, I want it to be this. Some of you uh, have maybe been Christians for a while, and uh, you kind of feel like, you know, I've been trying this Christianity thing out, but nothing's really been happening. I haven't been changing. Uh, I still just get as angry as I used to. I'm still not feeling uh, comfort. And I think what can happen, this isn't necessarily the case for you, but what could be the case is that you've learned a lot of things that you don't actually believe, right? You know a lot of stuff, but you don't trust in that stuff. And so here's the thing. We have to get really good at preaching the truth to ourselves. I, uh, I've given this message five times this year. Um, and so you would think that at this point, the truths that I'm about to share with you would just come automatic, right? Like, they're in here, right? They are in here. But I don't just wake up believing in this stuff. Like, every time I have a fresh affliction, I have to go to this scripture and... and preach it to myself again so that I'll actually believe it. And, and I'll share, like, one recent thing that has happened. Um, it wasn't a huge affliction. Uh, I was feeling a little depressed, really busy, lots of stuff on my plate. Went home. I have four kids. They were all acting crazy, right? Uh, my wife was a little grumpy. And so it wasn't a, a big suffering. But, man, I, I was just, ah, uh, right? And what I did is I, I tried to take these truths and slap them over everything like a Band-Aid. Because this is what I was thinking. I'm like, okay, God, like, I, I know how this works. I know you can give me comfort, so would you please just give it? Because I got stuff to do today, <laughs> right? And I don't want to feel this way and just have to, like, grit it out, you know? And as God often does for me, I'm not a perfect Christian. I fail a lot. And so as God often does, he comes down and kind of says, you're being stupid right now, right? Which I'm thankful that he does. I'm like, yes, yes, God, I am. You're right, Okay. And I, instead of just going through this list of things that should make me feel better, um, I stopped. I paused. I opened my Bible again, okay? And I went to 2 Corinthians 1, chapters 3 through 11, and I read through it again. And within eight minutes, <laughs> like, God's comfort came upon me. And then I was able to return to not my work, but to my family and love them and give them comfort because what was controlling me was an anxiety about my to-do list, right? And then I was able to go on with my day. Now, does it always happen in eight minutes? No. Sometimes it takes weeks. Um, but we need to get good at preaching to ourselves because you are constantly being preached to the opposite message, right? All right, so with that said, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, and just mentally, right, just like repeat to yourself a couple times, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Do not forget this text. You will forget some of the things, maybe all of the things I'm about to tell you, but if you remember this verse, uh, I'm going to have done my job today because next time you feel like you need comfort, you're going to know where you need to go to remind yourself of the truth, right? Next time somebody needs comfort from you, you will know where to go, right? So just get that in your head, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. All right, let's read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in, in any affliction with the comfort 
with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. All right, so we're going to work through this text uh, three different times. And as we do that, uh, there's three main things I want you to see about comfort. First is that comfort comes from a relationship. Second is that comfort comes when we have a proper biblical perspective. Uh, and then lastly, comfort comes when we turn away from ourselves in suffering, which is actually just the opposite of what's natural, right? Uh, when I get a cold, my, my natural bent is just to get really selfish and self-focused and take care of me, right? Not to think about others. Um, so let's walk through the text and look at those three things. So first, comfort comes from a relationship. Uh, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. It is he who comforts us. Okay, what does this mean? This means that comfort isn't like a, a goodie that God carries around in his divine picnic basket, right? Like he's, he's got possession of things like comfort and peace and joy and we ask him for it, and he'll take what is his, and he'll hand that out to us. Right? He himself, like the relationship with him, is the thing that is the comfort. Now, that may, might not seem uh, like a really huge distinction at first, but it couldn't actually get bigger. Um, so, for instance, think of how that would change the way you pray. Uh, if, if I think that comfort is just something that God gives me. It's like a product that's a good that he owns, that he has, and he can give it to me. This is how I'll pray. I'll say, God, life's hard right now, and I need you to give me comfort. I need you to give me the job. I need you to heal that person to heal me. I need you to give me comfort. Give me comfort. But, right, if you realize no comfort is a relationship with God, you'll pray like this. God, I, I can't do this on my own. Um, it's too hard. I'm beyond myself. Lord, be present. I, I need your presence. I need your love. I need your arms to be around me. I need you to lead me. I need you to speak to me. God, fill me with your spirit. Show me Jesus afresh. I need a vision of you, God, because I can't live unless you're with me right? It can't get more different, right? One just asks for God to give you something. The other asks for God. And over and over, we're going to return to this first point. All right, verse 5 says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ 
we share abundantly in comfort too. Uh, coming to Christ is really a double-edged sword, and I don't know where you guys are at in your spiritual walk. You know, some of you have maybe been Christians for a long time, some of you haven't. Maybe some of you are just kind of here checking things out and, and haven't become a Christian yet. Well, here's the thing. It is a double-edged sword. Like, becoming a Christian actually brings additional suffering into your life. Like, you will have troubles that you would not have had when you become a Christian. But here's the thing, um, and this is where we start to see that suffering, that affliction is actually can be a very good thing, right? Like the pain's not good, but it, it works a lot of good in our life. It says, as we, right, if we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Okay, so suffering, affliction, think of it this way, it's a path. Okay, it's a passage. It's something you move through, and as you move through that suffering, you get a stronger relationship with Jesus. You come to understand Jesus better, to empathize with him in his sufferings, and it's through that path of suffering that you also get comfort, right? Sharing, right? Sharing is communal. You share in Christ's sufferings. You come to know him. You come to do that with him. Therefore, through that relationship with Jesus that you've gotten through that suffering, you also share in comfort. And so I think one way to think about it um, is, you know, suffering it can be like a lion in your life, right? Like it can just tear you to pieces. But if you're suffering with Jesus, if that is a sharing with Jesus suffering, there is a bigger, badder animal in your life called comfort. And that thing's like a T-Rex, right? Like it'll just come after that lion and swallow it up. So suffering's not removed. We might get additional suffering, but we also get a far greater comfort. Now, uh, this brings us to the second thing, which is uh, comfort comes from a biblical perspective. So verse 4 says, He comforts us in all our affliction. Now, I want you to notice two words. Uh, the first is the word all. Okay, He comforts us in all our affliction, right? All is not some, all is not most, all is not just the small things, all is not just the big things. And I think people tend to be on uh, maybe two different sides of a range here. Some people uh, live by the motto, don't sweat the small stuff, right? And in fact, they think, you know, that's, that's actually a command from God, right? God is too busy, he's making sure the world runs smoothly, he's taking care of all the big problems, but the small stuff, he expects us to be able to deal with that. And so we just feel like we're left alone, right, to take care of the small things, and God doesn't care. God doesn't want, want to help us with that. Uh, on the other side, uh, there's people who think, well, of course God can help me with the small things. Of course God can help me with the medium things. But his comfort has limits, right? When the kid dies, when the spouse dies, when I lose my ability to walk, um, God's comfort reached its limit, right? Reached its limits. And, but what does it say? He can comfort us in all of our affliction, the small and the big. Now, the next thing I want you to notice, it says comfort us in, the word in all our affliction. Right? In means in the midst, right? Not outside of it, not after it's done. And isn't it true that so often when you're suffering, when you're in affliction, what you pray is make this end. Right? And in your mind, what you're thinking is, okay, this is the way comfort works. 
You have a suffering, the suffering ends, and then you get the comfort. But this says your circumstances do not need to change for you to have comfort. Why is that? Because comfort comes from a relationship with God, not a change of circumstances. You know, this makes you free, <laughs> right? Um, God has worked this message so well in my life. Um, there's been times where I've cried for like 45 minutes. I'm an emotional person. I've cried for like 45 minutes about the truths of this. Uh, I uh, have dealt with chronic pain uh, most of my life. Um, I was born with deformed vertebrae, and my muscles don't know what to do. And so I have this rotating pain that happens in my back where my, everything just keeps shifting, and then my muscles start to get really cramped up. And so uh, my first really bad bout of pain was in eighth grade and then in 10th grade. Um, and what God taught me through this is that I don't need to be healthy to be happy. <laughs> I don't need to be healthy to have comfort. Like in the midst of another bout of pain that's lasted for a year and a half, right, God gives comfort in it, which is freeing because I don't have to wait for the affliction to end to have the comfort. Uh, so realize, God's comfort is so strong that you can possess it while the suffering is still going on, while the pain is still fresh. All right, verse 8, next part of the perspective uh, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. All right, so what, we learn here that Christians can despair. Now, think about who's writing this, right? This is the Apostle Paul, okay? Right, like he had a relationship with Jesus that none of us have had. He was able to do things in the Spirit that none of us can do. Uh, he wrote right? Second Corinthians, right? He wrote scripture. He was the authoritative representative of Jesus on this earth. What did he just say? Can you believe it? Like, like this is mind-blowing to me. We do not, okay, Paul's saying, I don't want you to have some idea of the victorious Christian life, right, that makes us impervious of pain. I want you to know something. I do not want you to be unaware. I, Paul, who has seen Jesus, I was despairing of life. This is really important because maybe some of you have been in that place where you're struggling with something and you think because you're a Christian you shouldn't. Well, if I was a Christian, man, you know, I, when this conflict happened again, I would have just acted right. When this suffering happened, I would have just walked through it. You know, I would have been like Wolverine, right? Like X-Men, right? Like his wounds just heal, right? Like that's what he... That's what we think. Well, I'm a Christian, so my wounds should just automatically heal, and it should be like nothing can, nothing can do anything to me. And that's just frankly not true. Like, as a Christian, when we go through rough things, they still mess us up. God is not asking us to be unrealistic about pain. He's asking us to bring it to him. Right? He's asking us to let him be present with us in it because he wants to be. He wants to give us comfort, not pretend that it, 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 it isn't terrible. Right? So you're free. <laughs> right? You're free to come before God and just in utter just pain say, God, this hurts. I'm so angry. Why did this happen again? 
when you're in deep pain, it's not a time to hate yourself and feel like if you're a Christian, this wouldn't be happening. It's a time to turn to God and ask for him to come more deeply into your life. All right, verse 9, next thing. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. <laughs> this is another really encouraging thing. Okay, Paul was a growing Christian. Isn't that crazy? This is Paul, right? And, and maybe, you know, you're not really uh, used to Christian stuff yet, and so that doesn't... But as you get to know, like, Paul is the man, right? Like, he, he did... He was the greatest church planner that ever existed, right? Like, this is a guy who gets stoned, right? Like, he gets stoned in a city, left for dead, because he's preaching the gospel there, and then he wakes up, and he goes back and preaches the gospel in that city, right? This is who we're talking about. And he was still a growing Christian, right? He says, you know, I'm Paul, and here's what I deal with. I deal with self-reliance, right? And I think you get that. Like, don't you kind of get that feeling about Paul that maybe he, he, he struggles with pride sometimes? He's like, I, I struggle with self-dependence. I, I struggle with self-reliance. And what God was doing in this affliction was he was pushing me beyond myself, pushing me beyond myself. He just kept pushing. It, okay, because you know what kind of affliction this is? This is a kick you while you're down affliction, right? Like you don't say things like, I feel like I've re, re, uh, gotten the sentence of death. You don't say I'm despairing of life when it's just this kind of little affliction that you're used to, right? Like this is a, a kick you while you're down affliction. This is like everything that you could possibly think could go wrong in your life has gone wrong, and then you find out you were wrong because something else went wrong, right? And it's just like, really? And, and, and the point of that is he's pushing. God pushes, and he pushes, and he pushes, right? This affliction isn't an accident. Like God's sovereign over it, and he pushes, and he pushes, and he pushes because, again, he's after relationship. Right? He's after our dependence, our reliance upon him. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, share, I'll share a little personal stuff. Um, the, the last three weeks have been uh, pretty tough uh, for me, for my family. Um, we, uh, three weeks ago, we left for our, uh, my wife and I, it's our 10th anniversary, which is really exciting. And so we, we're making it more special uh, we're going further than we ever had, and we're staying longer than we ever had. Um, we're spending like five days in uh, Petoskey, Michigan, which is just a beautiful place. Well, the day we left, we found out that um, we were miscarrying our, the, our third miscarriage. We're miscarrying a, a baby. Uh, and so that became a, a big context of of our anniversary trip, our 10th anniversary trip, was my wife miscarrying this baby. Um, and then we come back, and I get sick. I, I, like I said, I have health problems. I have so many health problems. Uh, and so I get sick for a week. And then, uh, like I said, yesterday, uh, my car breaks down. <laughs> And the, it kind of felt like the kick you while you're down type suffering, right? Like, okay, alone, you know, the car breaking down, not such a big deal. But like after everything else, and then that happens, you know, and then actually this is just not even a thing, but like I was making my coffee this morning and the thing just exploded and just... <laughs> well... You know, I, I was talking to Andy about this. If, if you were to ask me, what's the best thing that happened to you this week? 
I would say it was my car breaking down. Isn't that weird? That doesn't make sense, does it? Well, it does if you realize what God was doing. Okay, the first thing that happened is I spent an hour and a half trying to fix my car and got really angry. <laughs> I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. After that was over, God had finally pushed me far enough again. Like I said, you have to relearn these things. He would finally pushed me far enough again where it's like, I give up, right? The last three weeks, I've just been trying to do it all. I've been trying to handle it all. I've been trying to be everything my wife needs, everything my family needs. I've just been trying to deal with it. And it's all been, my whole life has been lived on my strength, on self-reliance. And God loved me enough, <laughs> right, that he didn't stop pushing me until he pushed me far enough to come to that point like, okay, God, I need you. You know what happened? <laughs> Joy happened, right? Because my relationship with God once again grew, right? My reliance on God once again grew. So some of you need to let the affliction do what it was designed to do because you're fighting really hard against that. The affliction's coming and it's pushing you beyond yourself, but you don't want to be pushed beyond yourself. So you just keep hanging on to this idea that I can take care of it, right? That I can deal with it. And God may keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, and if you're not careful, you're gonna not understand his design and you might get bitter that he keeps pushing you. So let it happen. Now, here's the other thing. Um, there was a shift of reliance for Paul. There should be a shift of reliance for us, but it, it's not just in God, it's in a God who raises the dead. What does that mean? That means that, that Paul, as his reliance was shifted, his hope was shifted. Right? His reliance was shifted from himself to God, and his hope was shifted from this world to the next. Right? My hope, I think what Paul is saying, is my hope isn't in living. <laughs> right? my, my hope isn't in that I won't die. My hope is in that God raises the dead. Our whole life... Um, is going to be our hopes shifting from here to there, right? And I think that's one of the, the, the benefits of how God designed this world. Like, you, you come into the world with nothing, and then you go out of the world with nothing. You age. Most people age, right? They start uh, losing health. They start losing friends. They start losing their capacity to enjoy certain things they used to enjoy. And, and as that happens, we need to, okay, most of you are young. As that happens to you, you need to receive that as a mercy, Right? God is giving you this period of time at the end of your life to make it much, much easier than it used to be for your hope to shift. But that should happen now. Because here's the thing. Your hopes, if they're not in God, if they're not in that place, they will fail you. I, I, I've never met a person who had not been abandoned by their worldly hopes yet. But here's the thing. A lot of people don't think they will be because their hopes are future, and that's what makes them so dangerous. You know, uh, are you married yet? I don't know. Do you have a family yet? Do you have a house yet? Do you have your dream job? Do you have your dream house? Do you have all these things that, that your hope is in? Yeah, that'll make my life work. That'll make my life better. That will make me happy. That will fix me. As you start to get more and more of that stuff, you start to realize more and more that's not the answer. Right? I, I praise God for the many gifts and blessings he's given me. Right? He's given me so many. I have a, a beautiful, wonderful wife. But I'll tell you what, she hasn't been the answer. 
I have four wonderful kids. They have not been the answer, right? I love what I do. Like, I love what I do. But it doesn't, it doesn't make my life work, right? It doesn't make me happy, not lastingly happy. Um, I have a house now. Uh, we just bought a house uh, last year, and I'll tell you what, not, th not the answer. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's been everything I thought it would be. You know, it's like we have, a, we have a fireplace, and I feel like I should just be throwing money in there and burning it. <laughs> so, it's a great house, but it, it's not, you know, it hasn't made life work. Um, our hope needs to shift, right? And if it is, if it does, if your hope shifts, you know what happens to you? You become free. Because you don't need all the stuff anymore. You don't need things to be perfect. You don't need, you can give it all up because your hope's not in it, right? Your hope's in something rock solid that will not move, right? That will not perish, that will not fade. And God cannot fail to give it to you. Uh, so I want to share, um, yeah, I don't know. Is there a clock? I'm, Jonathan Land preaches like for two hours, doesn't he? <laughs> so I'm good. Um, yeah, so one of, the, one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life, I, I used to live in Texas, um, and I was uh, in my young 20s, and I had this good friend. He worked at uh, an insurance firm with me, um, and it was his 40th birthday, which is like a very reflective age to turn, right? Like that's kind of middle age, you know, you're thinking about your life. And um, so not, not, a, not, a, not a believer, and we're sitting at his pool, um, we're sitting at his pool outside his mansion. He's got this amazing house. Uh, he has three, like, giant, really, really giant screen TVs uh, in his house. He has three PlayStations, three Xboxes at each of them because he's a gamer and he's, he has these parties where everybody comes together and he has, like, 50 people playing Halo or something. Um, he uh, has a beautiful car, and, like, the inside of the house is all, like, marble and oak, and, you know, like, it's, it's really nice. Um, great love life as far as that goes. And so he's 40, he's reflecting on his life, he's reflecting on what he's obtained. He is, he's the top dog at the insurance company, like he's the guy that when the CEO comes, he stands in front with the CEO and gets the praise from the CEO, so he's got all the work status. And he's reflecting on his life, and what comes out very clearly is he feels like his life has failed him. Because he's attained everything. He has got all of his hopes, and he's still unhappy. And it just broke my heart because this is what his answer was to that. His answer wasn't, I need to abandon this hope because obviously I've been pursuing it for 40 years and it doesn't work because if it did work, it would have worked by now. What he started doing instead is he started telling himself, oh, but, but it is enough. He started convincing himself that all of the stuff that he had, had worked. Why? Why did he do that? Because he didn't have anything else. And if he admitted that this hope was hopeless, he would be doomed. <laughs> okay, don't waste your life pursuing hope that will not profit you. Be free today from it all. You can be. And part of affliction is designed to push you, push you, push you, push you, push you, push you until your hope is in the right place. 
Okay, so let it do what it's designed to do. All right, uh, last big thing, uh, affliction. Comfort comes when we turn away from ourselves in it. Um, verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why, Paul? Why does he give you comfort? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Uh, verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. And then skip down to verse 10. God delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. I think this is one of the most astounding things about this text. Okay, so if you were to ask Paul, hey Paul, why were you afflicted? Well, God was doing some things for me, yeah. I shifted my reliance, shifted my hope, but here's the, here's the big thing. It was for you guys. God afflicted me for the church. Okay, so why did God give you comfort? So that I could comfort the church. Okay, and, and why did he deliver you? Right, so that the church would praise him. <laughs> right, isn't that, Paul sees the things that happen into his, in his life happen to him as not just being about him. Primarily, he sees them as being about other people. And so th this leads you to ask different questions, right? Like, so... When you face suffering, you ask, what does God mean to do for others through the suffering? Right? And when he gives you comfort, you ask, what, what, how does God want me to use this to comfort other people with the suffering that I'm going through right now? And, and when you're delivered, first, you actually do praise God for it, right? But then you spread the story around so that other people would praise him too. And I'm guessing if you're like me, uh, this is just, a, I'm being honest again, I'm admitting something. My prayers are, are far more weighted with prayers of please than they are with prayers of play, praise, right? Please give me this, please change this, please do that, right? Not, oh yeah, I've actually been keeping track of what I've been praying for and you, you answered, right? Thank you, thank you, thank you, right? That isn't what typically fills my, my, my prayer life, right, is praise. Even less, right, is my life filled with, hey guys, God did this for me. Right? Praise him for it. And so be thinking as God delivers you, as God does good to you, how are you going to turn around and share that with others so that they would praise him? Um, another way to look at it, uh, I'll share a little bit bio again. Um, the difference here is when pain meets selfishness versus when pain meets love. Okay, when pain meets selfishness, it becomes malignant, right? And, and it, it grows bitterness, it grows anger, it grows resentment, it grows terrible things. Now, when I was in 10th grade in high school, um, I had my second huge bout of, of back pain. And uh, when I was in 8th grade, before it started getting better, my parents and the doctors had been talking about doing spine surgery, and if they would have done that, uh, it would have, like, really messed up my motion. There'd be a lot of sports things, a lot of things that I really enjoyed that I probably would not be able to do. Um, and so that really scared me. And so when I started feeling the pain again, what I did was not tell a soul. Um, 
And so it, it lasts about 10 months during that time. Uh, things got really bad. I, uh, ending my life had crossed my mind several times. I started abusing painkillers because the pain was so bad. I mean, I'd take them by the dozen. Like literally, I would take the painkillers by a dozen at a time. Now, that's all well and good, but like this is what happened. I didn't know Jesus. And, and this suffering, that selfishness, and, and what that grew was a lot of hatred toward other people. And, and this is how it worked. People would, would talk about what they were struggling with, what they were dealing with, the pains they were going through, and in my mind, it wasn't worth feeling bad about. I would get ticked at people, right? I, I would think, you don't deserve to feel bad. Who are you to feel bad about such small things, right? And, and, and I just was so angry with anyone who thought they were right to feel pain because I was the only human being on earth who understood suffering, right? Suffering meets selfishness. It does wacky things, right? And, and of course, that made me isolated, right? Uh, I was not a very good friend. And there's all kinds of bad things that happened. And one of the main ways we in America defend our sin is by blaming it on our suffering. But listen, your suffering doesn't cause you to do bad. Your selfishness does. So I don't care if you have anxiety. I don't care if you're depressed. I don't care what's happened to you. That's not the reason you're selfish. You're selfish because you're selfish. And the suffering meets that selfishness, and it grows evil. Now, I became a Christian, and I'm still selfish, <laughs> right? I, I, but not always, right? And less so as I get older, thank God, right? And so now, often, uh, when I suffer, it meets love. And what I've found is that what Paul is saying here makes a lot of sense, right? Like, God's brought tremendous affliction into my life, and he's also provided comfort. And what that's made me is someone who is empathetic. Like, I actually understand pain now. And now that I've gotten over myself, it doesn't really matter how small, because nobody's pain is small, it doesn't matter how small that pain seems, I actually just understand pain in general. I felt it. I understand what it means to suffer. I can relate. And, and when I talk to people, because I've actually been someone who's experienced comfort, I'm able to give it out as something I've experienced, you know? It's not like this kind of theoretical thing like comfort, yeah, that's something God gives, right? Right? I, I don't know. It's like, yeah, let me tell you about how God's worked in my life. Let me share that with you. Let me, I am actually with you, right? So let suffering meet love and turn you into someone who can minister and hand God's comfort out to other people. All right, so again, that was a lot of stuff, right? That's a lot of stuff, but here again is the thing. Remember the text. Right? Remember the text. You will forget. You've already forgotten, probably. You didn't even hear some of the stuff I said, probably. But you will forget it, right? Tomorrow, a week from now, a year from now, you're going to forget it. But if you remember the text, right, next time you need comfort, next time you need to grant comfort, you will go to it, and then perhaps what God will do is he'll bring to remembrance some of these things. Um, so yeah, with that said, uh, I just want to offer... My friendship to you, my love to you, if, you know, in, in a group this big, I'm sure there's a lot of things that are going on, and if anyone wants to talk about anything, I'll be here uh, for a while after the service. So uh, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, uh, God, that uh, you are a God of comfort, that you, uh, (laughs) the master of the universe, uh, the one who made everything, uh, the one who has thoughts higher than our thoughts, uh, as higher as the heavens are than the earth, that you have chosen, God, to have a relationship with us, and that because of that, we can experience great comfort in the midst of any circumstance, in the midst of any kind of suffering, and the suffering doesn't need to go away for us to have that comfort. Um, And so, Lord, I I pray that for those of us who still hear that as a very foreign thing, God, that very, very soon we would come to know that and experience that comfort for ourselves um, and be freed by it. And and Lord, also, I just pray, God, for those of us uh, who are going through suffering, uh, maybe it's been years, maybe it's been weeks, maybe it's just been today, but I pray that we would be humble, that we would work along with you and let that suffering do what it was designed to do, which is to push us beyond ourselves and push us beyond this world uh, to hope in you and hope in there. Um, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>